Lord, I take refuge. This is for the choir director, a psalm of David. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Now, do you see how we were set up by the music? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the Lord of the church, that your eyes do behold yours and your Father's, all who are on the earth. Nothing takes you by surprise. You are the King of the universe. Nothing has changed that, and nothing will in this coming year. We rejoice in the scripture, we rejoice in the music and the songs that point our eyes skyward, heavenward. We rejoice now as your spirit will open the truth to us and teach us. We pray these things in your name and for your glory, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Eighteen years ago, and when you're a man my age, that's not, that was like yesterday. <laughs> but eighteen years ago, in this October, an article appeared in the Reader's Digest, and it contained this information. In Oregon, which has recently cut public health benefits, the state is spending about $120,000 per year on dialysis treatments for a convicted murderer on death row. And then the article went on. In other words, it's shelling out big bucks to keep him alive until it's time to kill him. And of course, that's outrageous. But this is the sort of the thing that happens when social and civil order in the community is destroyed. Back in 1976, even farther back, the civil authorities that made up the Supreme Court decided that to deny health care to convicted felons in prison constituted cruel and unusual punishment. So they can even have heart surgery and organ transplants at our expense as taxpayers, while the rest of us who might need those operations are on waiting lists. A person who should have paid for his crime with his own life can receive health benefits that are denied to many law-abiding citizens. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's the question that's before us this morning. This first day of 2023, I want to ask you, and since we're kind of familiar, you can even answer out loud if you want to, doesn't it seem to you as if the foundations are coming apart in our society, that things are coming apart at the seams? Yes. Within less than two years, we've seen major cities, if they did survive the burning and looting two summers ago, practically hand their keys over to thugs, brigands, murderers, robbers. I have no desire to visit any major city in our country. Doesn't it seem like the laws are not being upheld, that morality is on the decline everywhere? 
that evil is practically unchecked. Protection is offered to the perpetrators, but apparently denied to their prey. You and I are the prey this morning. Criminals have more rights than many of their victims. Family values seem to be crumbling, going away. And there's a whole generation, or one or two or three of them, people who have little respect for the persons and property of others, let alone any respect for any kind of authority. It does seem that the very foundations of society are being destroyed. It's really enough, if you stop and think about it, to make a righteous person or even a semi-righteous person to throw up his hands and say, what are the righteous to do? If the foundations are destroyed, what are we going to do? I think some of us are there today as we view current events. That's essentially where David was about 3,000 years ago. That's why he penned these words in Psalm 11:3, the psalm we just read. The way he put it was, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? He, of course, was one of those righteous Yeah, he had the thing with Bathsheba, and he did a few other things like that, but he was a man after God's own heart who sought God with all his heart, was willing to admit his sin when it was pointed out to him. He was one of the righteous. He had a right to ask that question, if the foundations are destroyed, what am I to do? But what kinds of things would have caused him in his situation to say a thing like that? What sort of things do you think he was facing that would make him think that the foundations were being destroyed? Uh, What were those foundations? The word foundations is a metaphor for the order of society, the established institutions, the social and civil order of the community. The foundations included a number of things, among them law and order, civil government, and uh, home and family and a few other things. The foundations, the law, and all that goes with it. The social and civil order of ancient Israel revolved around a couple of things. It revolved around, first of all, the fact that God is, and that He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it also revolved around the fact that He had revealed Himself in His law, and that He had appointed a representative on earth, ultimately at this time when David was writing this, Representing him was the king of Israel, one of the social orders of the day, one of the foundations, divinely appointed representative. The king was to obey the law of God, and then he was to lead the people in doing likewise. You can read about that in the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter. But the very first king of Israel almost succeeded in destroying that foundation. If you went to Sunday school, you remember his name. It was Saul. Some of you didn't go to Sunday school. It was Saul. You think back. He was God's divinely appointed representative of the first king of Israel. He gave them the king even though that wasn't really his plan for them. He wanted the the, uh, kingdom established with him as king, but they wanted one like all the other nations, so he gave them Saul. But instead of upholding the law of God, which he was supposed to do as the divine representative, Saul disobeyed direct orders from God in the matter of the Amalekites. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 15. God said, destroy this people that hindered the way of Israel on their march from Egypt through the Red Sea and down through the wilderness and up into the land of promise. Destroy them utterly, save nothing alive, including their king and their livestock. And Saul 
saved the king alive and the livestock directly disobeying a divine command as God's representative before the people, as one of the foundations of that society. Instead of standing for justice and equity that was demanded by the law, he became consumed with jealousy and with anger and hatred, and he attempted to murder David on more than one occasion. This was the divine representative. He became filled with jealousy and hatred, as specified in 1 Samuel 18 and 19. Instead of protecting the priesthood, which was another of the foundations representing God on earth, he ordered the slaughter of 80 holy men in the little town of Nob because he thought they were conspiring against him. When the very one who is appointed by God to be the leader of the nation behaves like this, the whole order of society begins to crumble. And right now, if you weren't Baran, you'd be saying amen. <laughs> because we're seeing that everywhere today. Now, I'm not sure that this is the background to David's poem. This thing of one who's supposed to be upholding the law, becoming a lawbreaker. But it might have been. Some commentators argued that it was the background for Psalm 11. Some argued that it wasn't. You know, what Saul had done before David wasn't necessarily the background. But if it wasn't the background for these words that we're reading in Psalm 11, David had enough other situations going on in his life that would prompt him to ask this question. Whatever the situation, the advice of his friends and counselors, found in verses 1, the last part of the verse, and 2, was to run away from the trouble. These are his words. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? They were saying, run, get out of here, run to the mountains, withdraw. Get as far away as you can from these evildoers, from those whose actions indicate they're not submitting to God's rule and authority because they want you dead. They'll shoot at you from the dark. These in the subsequent verses. They want to make the godly person fall. They're anarchists at heart. Run. That should be your response when the foundations are crumbling. As I indicated a moment or two ago, the social and civil order seems to be dis disintegrating today. The courts are part of the divinely ordained authority that constitutes our government. Did you hear me? I said divinely ordained authority that constitutes our government. But I already touched on the dilemma that this branch of government is supposed to protect law-abiding citizens has put us into. Listen, when Noah and his family came out of the ark, God specified that human life was so sacred as to demand the death of anyone who wantonly took it. These words in Genesis 9-6, whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed because in the image of God he made him. This was about murder. Murder is a direct attack on the image of God. That's why God demanded the death penalty. And this was before the law of Moses was instituted. This was pre-law. This was post-flood pre-law. A rule for all of humanity from that time on. The Mosaic law came along and upheld it with this. You shall not take ransom for the life of a murderer who's guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. So you shall not pollute the land in which you are, for blood pollutes the land that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. 
There's no expiation that can be made for the land for blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Numbers 35, 31, and 33. And if you read further in the law in the book of Deuteronomy, it also demanded this supreme penalty, which is cap, we call it capital punishment, for some instances of forcible rape and kidnapping. Then hundreds of years later, along comes the Apostle Paul, who is a citizen of Rome with all of its social and civil foundations. He told the Roman believers that civil authorities derive their power from God and that one of their principal functions, that is the civil authorities, was to punish evildoers with the sword. What do you do with the sword? You don't tickle people with a sword. But our government has actually encouraged anarchy by refusing to deal justly with criminals in general and murderers in particular. The outgoing governor of Oregon, probably a very nice lady, but very seriously in error, commuted all of the death sentence, uh, all of the death row sentences in the state. It still has a death penalty. It's gone out and it's come back. It's gone out and come back. But she commuted all of those because she called the death penalty immoral. So one of those in a position of being part of the foundation of society is already knocking the foundation away. Consequently, because of this kind of thinking, the rate of violent crime in our country is higher than in any other industrialized nation. With a homicide rate five times greater than Europe's, four times greater than either Canada's or Australia's. In fact, we're second only to El Salvador for murders committed. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can the righteous do, for instance, when the state of Pennsylvania pays for the convicted rapist of an eight-year-old girl to have hormone treatments to help change his gender because a doctor labeled his condition gender identity disorder. And this at taxpayer expense. He should have been executed. What can the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed? Several thousand years before, God stressed to Noah the sanctity of human life. In that passage we read, Genesis 9, 6, and the necessity to punish evildoers like murderers. He had established the most basic building block of society. In fact, one might call, almost call it the foundation of all social and civil order. And what is that? Listen to these words. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause, then, is an editorial comment by the writer, Moses, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Genesis 2, 21 to 24. And hundreds of years after that, Jesus upheld this relationship. Matthew 19, 4 through 6, adding these words, what God has joined together, let no man separate. 
Do we grasp the significance of this? The most basic building block of society, the, 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 the cornerstone of social foundation, is the family. Before there were governments, before there were schools and churches, which are all part of the social and civil order of our day, there was the family in its most nuclear form. A man and a woman, which gender can be defined together for life. From this union, ultimately, children would emerge. In fact, the man and the woman were told to be fruitful and multiply. But nothing, absolutely nothing, was to be more important than their relationship to each other. Nothing. That's the essence of the phrase, don't you see, of leave and cleave. Cleave can be used to mean cut apart, but it's, there's a dual meaning here, another meaning. It can mean to be stuck together. I work with wood. I like Elmer's wood glue. And when you stick it together with Elmer's and clamp it, you can't get it apart later without breaking the wood. That's the picture in Genesis. But we've gotten far away from this ideal. We're reaping the consequences. Now, we're rightly concerned about the destruction of this foundation in our society. We're abhorred by the advent of homosexual marriage, gay marriage, they call it. Not so gay marriage, perhaps. I mean, this is all over. You're assaulted with it in the ads on television. Have you noticed that? It's everywhere. And you're made to feel like the criminal for having a, a different view of it. But we are thinking about the foundations being destroyed right there. But in reality, people in heterosexual, God-ordained unions have done significant damage to the foundation themselves. Because so many folks are cleaving, all right, after they say I do, they're cleaving, and then maybe leaving. What happens in the wake of that? Myriads of angry children populate our daycares and schools. In addition, most parents have allowed their children to come between them. They do what they do, not for the sake of their spouse, but for the sake of their children. It seems almost that they're married till children do them part. Most important relationship many mothers seem to have, for instance, is not the one with their husbands. How many times on television have you seen somebody, perhaps on a game show or something, I'm doing this for what? For my children. I want to do something for my children. But the, where's the spouse in all of this? Hardly anything is ever said. The same might be said of fathers. Most husbands and wives devote most of their time and efforts to building self-esteem into beings that have enough of that already. According to the columnist and public speaker John Rosemond, the result of that has been at least two generations, probably three now because he wrote this in 2007, two generations of children and young people, his words, who have, have an overriding sense of entitlement, low self-control, especially when frustrated, anger towards others when they don't get their way, a belief that the end justifies the means, and a lack of respect for all authority. This is what we're seeing in the streets of our cities today and in the towns and villages of our country today. I understand what children need is self-respect, but they will get that, obtain that, 
from a mom and a dad who are totally committed to each other first and foremost. Again, the question, if the foundations are destroyed, what is the righteous person to do? If the blocks and the mortar and all that down below is crumbling away, what is a righteous person supposed to do? That was a filler because I lost my place. And I will find it right now. It is the question that David posed, isn't it? He's looking around at his day, and whatever was crumbling, he's saying, what are the righteous to do? But even before he posed that question, he had the answer to it. It's found in verse 1. In the Lord, I take refuge. In the Lord, I take refuge. That's why I love the songs this morning, lifting our eyes to Him. When we look at the way things are going in our society as the foundations are disintegrating, we might be tempted to just withdraw. There's that one side of it. The other has become so incensed and so absorbed that we can't, we can't function. I mean, that, that's a danger too. Too much Fox News will do that to you. But we, we might just withdraw. Run away from it all. Just David's friends counseled him to do. But how could he do that when he said already the answer to his question was in God and God, his confidence was God and God was still in charge. God was still there. That's, again, the worship set us up for this. He is the king. He hasn't abdicated. No matter what's happening in Washington. And by the way, it's not going to get better regardless of whether it's Republican or Democrat in control. Scripture's pretty plain about that. Look at verse 4. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. Nothing happens on this earth that changes the fact that the Lord is still Yahweh, all capital letters in your translation, is still the king of the universe. And as the supreme ruler, he sees, as one commentator puts it, quote, the feverish activity of the human race. That's, he, he sees it all. That's how you describe what's going on when the social and civil orders are destroyed. The Lord examines all people, the wicked who are bent on anarchy, and the righteous whose eyes are, like David's were, lifted to the heavens. He sees it all. Do you believe this? David's confidence was well-placed, wasn't it? Even in his day, it might have seemed as if God didn't know what was going on on earth. And sometimes our reaction is we wonder if he knows what's going on here. Sometimes it seems that way even today as it did in David's day, but God was aware 3,000 years ago what was taking place down there. And nothing that's happened since or that is happening now or will happen as 2023 goes on into 2024. Eventually, nothing that happens is going to take him by surprise. He is aware and he will ultimately judge the wicked and reward the righteous. Look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Pretty strong language in a day when we don't like strong language. 
And if you take a stand that this or that is wrong, people will take issue with your speech. Hate speech, right here. God hates the unrighteous, the wicked. He tests his hates. His, the, the, the one who loves violence, his soul hates. That guy who was in prison, who should have died instead of getting the treatment for his diabetes or whatever it was, God hates the violence that puts, puts him there, put him there. And it says, upon the wicked, he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. More hate speech. When you read about murderers getting away with their crimes, walking because of some legal technicality, it doesn't just make you, something in you just rises up and say, what's wrong with this picture? Some foolish legislation like we've seen. Or a judge who's inflated with his own importance. Or a governor that last act in office is despicable enough to, to uh, release all those who are under the sentence of death from their, from their punishment. The one who sits in the heavens and in his holy temple sent fire and brimstone on those two wicked cities in ancient Canaan. And he's fully capable of doing it again. As 2023, and I have to laugh because when I was, when we were, we who got up here and preached before were being, what were we being? We were being pled with by our, the chairman of our elders. Well, one of you take the first Sunday of the year because Pastor Wick's going to be gone. I waited for other people to do this. Nobody did. But I was asked when I said, I'll take the Sunday okay, well, will you be continuing the Acts series? And I had three words reply, no to Acts. I didn't want to do that. He said, will it then be a, a, a New Year's Day sermon? Yes. This is a New Year's Day sermon. Anything I preach today would be a New Year's Day sermon. <laughs> but this is New Year's, 2023. It is unfolding and we'll look around at the wicked, and we'll be just as dismayed when this year is over as we were when the last one ended. David looked around at the wicked, and he did this too, looking up to God who still reigns. Verse 7, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. What he was doing, and I love the songs again this morning, was he tends to telling us, look to the future. Don't be mired in the present. Shut off Fox News if you have to. Delete the app. I'm as guilty as the next guy of looking at what's happening next. Only because I prepared this sermon, I'm a step ahead of the rest of you. I'm, you know, I've got that expunged now. No, but, but we get so absorbed, we don't look up. Who's still in charge? David essentially tells us to look to the future. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold His face. Look to the future, and that future is in the very presence of God, seeing Him face to face. Then all of the chaos caused by those who are currently destroying the order of society won't matter. So until that time, instead of fleeing to the mountains, keep on looking up. Keep on being righteous. There it is. What should the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed? 
Keep on being righteous. Keep on being righteous. Keep on looking up. Keep on living the truth. Keep on praying for your neighbors who are bound for hell. By name. There, Wick. That's what we're about, isn't it? That's what we need to do. When elected officials take bribes and deal in lies and deception, which they are doing. That's what we need to do when a Respect for Marriage Act actually doesn't do anything of the sort. You know what that act's about, don't you? It's not about your marriage. When the foundations are being destroyed, don't be absorbed with what evil people are doing. Keep on doing what is right because God loves it when you do and hates it when you don't. No matter what the rest of the world does in this new year that is upon us, believers in Jesus should submit to His authority, do what He says, and in this way, we'll shine like stars in a very dark place. Amen? Amen. Amen. God help us. We admit that our tendency is to look and see the evil that is being done all around us under the sun and to lament the foundations are being destroyed, especially those of us who are advancing in years. We remember a different and better time, so it seemed. It's a strange day in which we live when evil is called good and good is called evil. When governing officials are steeped in graft and corruption and lying, And we think the world has never seen it like this before it has. David said as much. But you are still king. You are still on the throne. You still love righteousness and hate evil. You will bring judgment on those who are evildoers. That's not our problem. You desire us to simply be righteous. And I pray that we will be, and that our righteousness will cause us to shine in this year when there's so much darkness, and those around us are also in that darkness, wondering if there's anything better. God help us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.